May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolation, a blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. Did you pay attention to what you just sang? The one who comes as a terror to his foes is a blessed hope to those who love the Lord's coming, who gather together to worship and praise him for what it means that the Lord comes near. All of our readings this Sunday echoed that theme that when the Lord comes near, he destroys his enemies, right? John the Baptist in our gospel lesson was proclaiming that message of of destruction, right? Jesus coming with the winnowing fork in his hand. The axe is at the root of the tree. He's coming to burn up the chaff as he was taking on those who were rejecting John's message and John's baptism. But I found it interesting. Did you notice what Luke called that message? How he described John's message of the axe and the burning and the the destruction. He said he was proclaiming the good news. The gospel. And it is for us. Zephaniah, the Old Testament lesson, was was much the same. He was talking about that rejoicing that we can do. And even giving us that beautiful picture of God rejoicing over us with singing. Think about that. God is so happy about you that he's singing to himself about you. But even that is in the context of God coming to destroy the enemies. (coughs) And here in our text from Philippians, you've got the Apostle Paul writing from a Roman prison. He is being persecuted for spreading the gospel, the good news. And yet, what does he say? It's not a song of worry or fear. It's rejoice. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Don't stress. Rejoice. When the Lord is near, rejoice. Do you know what the most fought over terrain in the history of the world is? A few years ago, a Dutch company tried to map all the battles that have ever taken place in history. They they got the list from Wikipedia, they spun it into an algorithm, and they popped out a map color-coded by era with dots, you know, the size of the dots signifying the intensity of the battle, and and covered this, this map with all of these dots. It's a fascinating thing to look at. I mean, you got to take it with the Wikipedian grain of salt, but there are some interesting things to notice. The first thing is that nobody wanted Greenland. There's maybe like one dot there, right? And some of those other cold weather places are just completely bare. But then you look at the rest of the world and not so much. Just covered with dots of all different colors and intensities. But, but if you're looking for the answer to the most fought over terrain... In the history of the world, your eyes will very quickly be drawn to the countries that border the Mediterranean Sea. And many scholars will tell you to to focus in even more closely on one particular city. You want to guess? Jerusalem, right? But being Christians who believe that what the Bible says is true, 
that our battle is not against flesh and blood, we might see another piece of terrain that, that is even more fought over. It's much smaller. It measures only about five and a half to six and a half inches in width. But on this terrain, terrorist battles are waged every day as the peace is sieged and the calm seized. On this terrain, these, these fierce battles, they leave even, even the most battle-hardened among us worn out. Have you figured out the, the terrain I'm talking about? It's the it's the roughly six inches between your ears, the battle for the human mind, and ultimately then the battle for, for the heart. So who's winning that battle? <clears throat> In 2005, the National Science Foundation published an article summarizing research that had been done on human thinking, and they announced, or they, they reported, that humans typically think somewhere between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day. And then they went through and they analyzed the, the thoughts as positive or negative. You want to guess the percentage of, of the positive versus negative thoughts they, they came up with? Well, they figured out somehow that the normal human, 80% of those 12 to 60,000 thoughts are negative. And 95% of human thinking is repetitive. That's not good. So if 80% of our thoughts are not on whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, the, the things that Paul tells us to think about right after our text, and 95% of our thoughts that we thought yesterday we're thinking today, well, is there any wonder why there is so much anxiety in our world and in our hearts? <clears throat> In 2012, uh, UCLA did a research study. They, they studied 200,000 incoming college freshmen, and they determined that the anxiety level, their stress level, is higher than it has ever been at that age group. In fact, one of the researchers, Robert Leahy, wrote this. If I can find his quote. There it is. The average high school student's anxiety levels today rival the anxiety levels of the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And then you read the research. This, this was 2012. So you read the research about anxiety levels through and after COVID and how they are through the roof. Who's winning the battle for the human mind and the human heart? Well, we'd probably have reason to say anxiety is. Anxiety reigns supreme. If, if you're thinking of the, the, the battle cry for this battle for the human mind and heart, it's probably something like be anxious, be worried, be afraid, because you don't know what's going to happen next. But wait a second, it's Advent. So we do know what is going to happen next. Jesus is coming. And because we know that, there's a very different battle cry that echoes through the, the, the minds of the Christian in this battle. 
Look at verse 4. This is not a cry of anxiety or fear or worry. Instead, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is the confident battle cry of the human heart. Because this battle, like all battles, is the Lord's. He still reigns supreme over everyone and everything, and that includes anxiety. Recently, uh, I was talking to a pastor friend, and he mentioned a quote that he thought was from Martin Luther. And I really liked the quote, so I looked it up and tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. So I don't know if it was by Luther or not, but I liked the quote anyways. It was about rejoicing. And he said this, joy is knowing that the king is in the castle and the flag is flying at full mast. Joy is knowing that the king is in the castle and the flag is flying at full mast. You follow that? It goes back to that, uh, that ancient tradition. Britain still uses it, right? When the king is in his castle, or if he's visiting another castle, wherever he is, his unique flag is flown high above that castle. And, and today, maybe that's helpful as a curiosity for tourists, right? Or, or so that the paparazzi can know when they can try to get a picture. But, but think of back in the day. Think of what that meant. The king is in the castle, and the flag is flying at full mast. That means that, well, the king is here. I, I don't have to be afraid. We're not going to get attacked because his army is here, and he's proudly proclaiming that he's here. He's not worried, so I don't have to be worried. And, and well, the king is here, so I'm not going to go hungry. right? He'll make sure that things are, are taken care of because the king is in the castle, and the flag is flying at full mast. So I can live in comfort and confidence. We need to remember this because if your minds are anything like mine, they can get anxious, right, for a lot of things. I get anxious when I see members not keeping their membership promises and the worship habits become more uh, once in a while when it works into my schedule instead of that life-giving necessary part of my schedule. I've seen what happens next. Those losses sting. I get anxious when I see our young people thinking of themselves and their identity in the terms with which the world views that instead of in the terms with which God views who they are. I know the pain that that brings. I sometimes get anxious when you see the, the money going out in the budget greater than the money coming in, whether that's the personal budget or even the church budget. I get anxious when certain topics of conversation come up because you know it's just not going to go well. I mean, you pick your poison, politics, race, masks, mandates, guns, even rainbows. Those things can, well bring division and, and cause controversy. And so, yeah, I get anxious. I get anxious when, when I look at my expectations for life and, and work and see them meet the realities of life and work because things don't always go like we want. In Acts 14, God tells us that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather not. And so you get anxious. And that battle wages. The losses and crosses weigh heavily. So who's winning the battle for the mind 
and the heart. Don't forget, the king is in the castle, and the flag is still flying at, half ma- at full mast. That's what Advent reminds us of. That's what our text today reminds us of. That's the reason for rejoicing. Did you, did you catch that? Right after he says rejoice, he says, for the Lord is near. We still have reason to rejoice. The, the king of joy tells us what to do with all of those anxious worries. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You and I can't fix the problems of this world, let alone the problems of our hearts. We can't handle those scary losses and, and heavy crosses, but he can. He did. He does. He will. And so he tells us, cast all those anxieties on me. And then he provides us with a promise to plant it deep into our hearts. Because remember, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in us through the promises God has made. He lives in us and, and attaches us to Jesus without whom no one can rejoice. And so look at this promise. The Lord is near. The king is in the castle and the flag is flying at full mast. He is near with us both in his presence and in his coming. When the fog is thick with worry on the battlefield of the mind, this promise breaks through that fog like a ray of light. The Lord is near. When you open up your Bibles and you read his promise, the Lord is near. When you come here and gather where two or three come together in his name, well, the Lord is near. When you receive his body and blood for your forgiveness in the sacrament of the altar, the Lord is near. God knows that in the day today, we need reminders of the eternal day. And so he gives us them. And there's plenty more, right? Wouldn't be a bad thing to have some of these reminders stuck in your head, right? Get a hymn verse there and and let that flow through. One of my favorite, and I, I brought it up in the sermon as I've been working on this. It's been stuck in my head this week, and it's been awesome. From that, that hymn, For All the Saints, it's the, the fifth verse. And it goes like this, And when the fight is fierce and warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia. They are. Because the Lord is near. And soon we will be home. Because Jesus came and lived and died and rose and promises, we have the certain confidence that the Lord is near. And soon the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The Lord is near and all of today's troubles will be wiped away in eternity's bliss. The Lord is near. And so the Christian cries out confidently, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The king is in the castle and the flag is flying at full mast. Knowing that, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.
Amen. Now, may that peace keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We'll continue with the prayer of the church, and then after the offering, uh, we'll hear a song from Christmas for Kids yesterday. <laughs> 